All right, let's, uh, let's get into the Bible. If you have a Bible, now would be the time to grab it, open it, turn it on, whatever you're into. Um, or if you'd like to borrow one of ours, we have some NIV, NIV paperbacks in the boxes in either one of the center aisles as well. Um, we're going to go to Mark chapter 9 and continue our series that we've been on for 14, 15 weeks now. We've entitled it Mightier Than I. John the Baptist, when he encounters Jesus, in the very first chapter of Mark, he points to Jesus and he says, behold, the one who is mightier than I. And that is, that is Mark, the, the writer of this gospel's way of introducing King Jesus. This is the one that the world has been waiting for. He is the mighty one. He is the one who is mightier than I. And he who he is who we've been getting to know more and more as we've been working our way through the book of Mark. So if in case you're new this morning, that's what we've been up to, and that's what we're doing this morning. We're gonna go, we're gonna, we're gonna go, we're going to look at Mark chapter nine, verses 14 through 29 this morning. You guys ready? Here we go. And when they came to the disciples, They saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, that is Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy And he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the ninth chapter of Mark. This is the 10th time 
that we are encountering a demon that Jesus confronts and casts out. This is the 10th time that either Jesus casts out a demon or there's been some sort of conversation about demonic activity as Jesus has been traveling around the Galilean countryside. I've been intentionally putting off talking about demonology or spiritual warfare or whatever you want to call it until now, but this is the last time that a demon is going to be cast out in the gospel according to Mark. Um, There'll be one more conversation in just a few verses about someone casting out a demon, um, but not Jesus or his disciples. So let's talk about demons. Um, A little context. It says that when Jesus uh, came down and they met up with the disciples, uh, if you were here last week, you'll recall that he is coming down from the mountain uh, where he transfigured. He was there with Peter, James, and John, typically referred to it as the Mount of Transfiguration. It's this like crazy, awesome, supernatural, psychedelic moment where Jesus like transfigures in front of his disciples and he's like beaming white and it's this surreal moment and it's, it's the, the glory of the Son of God revealed in a moment. Um, And it says that Moses and Elijah made a cameo appearance as well. And it's a pretty intense moment. Awesome moment. Arguably like the climax of Mark's gospel. And now he's coming down the mountain. And what's happening next? He walks into uh, a whole group of people arguing. It's a big argument going on. uh, And has something to do with this little boy who's possessed or oppressed or something by a demon. Of course, his father's there. His disciples attempted to cast it out. They couldn't. And so now some arguments broken out. Um, Jesus, of course, steps in. As we've just read, he deals with the demon. He commands it to leave. Um, It leaves with no small fight, but it leaves nonetheless. And then, of course, Jesus' disciples want to know, why did it not work for us? And he says, this one, this kind, only comes out by prayer. What's going on? (laughs) So, dealing with demons. Let let me, I need to uh, give a couple, or rather three disclaimers before we go any further, because I realize right now there's probably a whole, there's a broad range of thoughts and feelings going on. Some of you are like, yes, I love talking about this stuff. You need help. Um, Others of you are like, why, why are we talking about this? This freaks me out. I don't want to talk. And and that's, so we need to sort of, I I need to qualify where where, we're headed this morning. Disclaimer number one. Uh, Mark, the gospel writer here, and the first century inhabitants of Judea understood the difference between physical or physiological conditions and spiritual oppression. Now, you might have been thinking to yourself as we were reading through the text that it sounds like this poor boy just has epilepsy or or something. It sounds like he's having a seizure. And how cruel would it be for us to be like, oh, it's a demon, let's cast it out, right? I mean, that would be incredibly cruel. But I just simply want to make the point 
that if you read through all of the, the gospels, you'll, it's, you'll easily see that okay, these ancient people, they understood the difference. At some level, certainly not like us with our technology and science and medicine and everything, but they understood the difference between, say, epilepsy and someone who's convulsing because of demonic manifestations. For example, um, at the very beginning of Mark, Mark chapter one, verse 32, it says this. The evening, um, in the evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So that's the very first sort of demonic encounter that we, we were, were given in the gospel of Mark. And there's a very clear distinction between the sick and the demon oppressed. Um, Matthew, one of the other gospels, Matthew 4.24 says this, so Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them all. Okay, the gospel writers make clear distinctions between those who are actually suffering from demon oppression and those who are just simply sick. Those who are perhaps experiencing the manifestations of demonic activity and those who are actually just having a seizure and they need to be physically healed. Okay, so I wanna say that first and foremost that that is a clear and very important distinction that the Bible makes and obviously we need to make as well. Disclaimer number two, Jesus seemed quite comfortable integrating physical healing and spiritual deliverance in his ministry to hurting people. There's a very clear distinction between physical ailment, chemical ailment, and spiritual oppression, for sure, but Jesus seems very comfortable to sort of integrate these categories and a holistic approach to ministering to hurt people. So although there's a clear distinction, it would seem that there's, these aren't these like neat sort of separate categories that don't ever touch or perhaps even at times overlap. And Jesus seems to be quite comfortable just sort of navigating that tension. Disclaimer number three, and this is to do with us, at Grace City, we want to maintain a wise and healthy distinction between physical or mental health and spiritual freedom. We wanna, we wanna make sure that that distinction's clear. We have no desire to be, I learned a new word this week, ultra crepidarian. That's a good word. I was reading I, psychology journals this week. Ultra crepidarian, that means pretending to be an expert in an area that you are not an expert in. Okay, so we don't want to act like, uh, you know, I'm not trying to act like I have all this knowledge that only a licensed therapist has or whatnot. That's called being ultra crepidarian. We have no desire to be ultra crepidarian in our discipleship. But we also want to approach health and maturity in a holistic manner. People are not neatly compartmentalized machines. We are integrated beings full of overlapping categories, blurred lines, and connected experiences. So I believe in good mental health treatment, professional mental health care. I am not a professional uh, therapist. 
I believe that prayer is powerful and it has an effect on the mind and the body. I believe that a medication is a gift from God. Can any and all of these things be abused? Absolutely. Can they be oversimplified? Can they be uh, talked about or applied in overly simplistic ways? Absolutely. We don't want to do any of that. We want to approach people as holistic beings and look to medicine and professional health care as a gift from God where that's appropriate and to prayer and spiritual deliverance where that's appropriate. Keep those separate but also integrated because we believe that we are integrated people with all sorts of blurred lines going on in our lives. I love what C.S. Lewis says in the screw tape letters. You guys knew this one was coming. It's so good, no matter how many times it's quoted. If you've not read C.S. Lewis's The Screw Tape Letters, highly, highly recommend it. It's a very thin, fun, easy to read, profound paperback. It is fun. <laughs> he says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So what we're talking about is avoiding those extremes where we just simply relegate everything to the world of material treatment or medicine or et cetera, et cetera. Or the other extreme of like, no, everything's a devil, everything's spiritual. No, it's not. Let's not be weird. Let's just be like Jesus. So there it is. Those are my disclaimers. And that's what we're trying to be and do as a church. Let's talk about the symptoms of demonic activity. Now, this is just one case study of a demon who somehow gotten a hold of this young boy, like from childhood apparently, which really just baffles me. I always wonder, like, how did that happen? What, what went on? We don't know. It just is. This is one case study, but what you'll find if you look throughout the Gospels, even into Acts and, and all of the scriptures, is that there's no like, one set method or template for, for how this stuff goes down. It tends, to be, it, it tends to appear slightly different for each different situation. But this is one case study, so I want to, since we're reading through Mark, here we go. Verse 14, it says that Jesus came down and found them arguing. Arguing. The disciples and the scribes were having a big old brawl of some sorts. One of the first symptoms of demonic activity in a church, in a family, in a person's life is discord, chaos. When the people who are supposed to be like looking after the little ones, the widows, the orphans, the innocent, the most vulnerable, instead of actually addressing this hurting person, this boy and his father, what are they doing? What are the religious people doing? They're arguing with each other. This is probably the most common, obvious, classic instances 
of a demonic symptom among the people of God. Someone's suffering. And what are the disciples doing? Arguing. What are the religious elite doing? Fighting. Discord. Paul writes in one of his letters to the church in Corinth, this is actually 2 Corinthians 2.11, he says, we are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. The context there, you may have heard that one, it's a bit of a popular one. We are not ignorant of the enemy's designs. We are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. You know what the context is? Unforgiveness. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth because there's a lot of drama going on. I'm talking about discord. Constantly fighting, constantly bickering, backbiting, tearing each other down. Paul's addressing the situation and he's teaching them, commanding them, you've got to forgive each other. You must forgive each other for we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Satan wants to get God's children fighting each other. Forget the problem, forget the enemy, forget the hurting young person. Let's just fight. Let's argue about whether or not this whole talk about demonology is even appropriate or real instead of actually addressing the obvious fact that people are actually suffering. People are being victimized by spiritual forces of wickedness that the Bible talks about plainly and regularly. That's symptom number one. Symptom number two, this is verses 18 and 20, um, we see a violent manifestation. The boy, he falls down, he's thrown down, he starts to foam at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, it would appear he's having some sort of epileptic seizure. Um, have you ever seen anyone have an epileptic seizure? It's actually kind of, it's, it's a little frightening. And I don't mean that to like sound mean, but it's just like, oh my goodness, like that's, it's a scary event. Have you ever seen someone uh, manifest like, have you ever seen a demon-possessed person actually manifest? You don't want to see it. It's really, really scary. I've seen it up close, like, several times, at least half a dozen times over the last 20 years. It's, it's kind of terrifying. The first time I saw a person actually kind of do what we've just read, it, it looked almost like some sort of epileptic seizure. There was, like, a writhing. There was a sort of a contorting uh, her voice dropped like several octaves. I mean, this is like kind of Hollywood stuff, but I'm like seeing it in front of me. Scared me to death. Uh, the, the gentleman who's praying for this young lady, I happen to just be present in the moment, um, he didn't even flinch. He had seen it a few times before, and he knew what was going on. He understood what was happening. Uh, I saw him again the next day, uh, Dr. Charles Kraft was his name. He's, he, he passed away a few years ago. I asked him, I said, Dr. Kraft, that was his real name. Man, I, I, I've never seen anything like that before. Um, yeah, kind of kind of shocked me a little bit. I, I, I believe that the devil's real, and I, I don't necessarily doubt that, but I didn't realize that the enemy is that powerful because it scared me. And uh, he said, son, kind of with that grandpa tone, he said, here's what you need to understand about what you witnessed yesterday. He said, that was all smoke and mirrors. 
In a moment like that, when this demon has, has taken hold of this, this poor girl, um, it knows what's coming. And it wants to do everything in its power in that moment to scare anyone in the room. It's a fear tactic is what it is. It's a fear tactic. Uh, powerful, relatively so, uh, compared to the power of Jesus, no. Nothing, no power, no authority. Terrified, yes. Desperate to uh, invoke fear in everyone present, absolutely. Smoke and mirrors. And then he said, Dr. Kraft, he said this. He said, here's what you need to understand. Um, he said, you love Jesus. And I said, I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. <laughs> he said, okay, so you, you're a child of God and you've been filled with the spirit of Christ. So the, the power the authority that has been delegated to you as a child of God um, compared to what you saw yesterday, that little, uh, little hat trick that that demon pulled off, it's like the power of an elephant compared to a mouse. You guys remember that old adage? Like elephants apparently terrified of mice. Is that still a thing? I don't know where that came from. But if that elephant simply knew who he was, with zero effort, it could just put out its big old elephant hoof, <laughs> foot, paw. <laughs> what do they have? Okay. And just smash that little thing like nothing, no effort. So that's, that's what you need to understand. It's smoke and mirrors, it's a fear tactic. That's one of the other most common manifestations of, a, of demonic activity in, in your life. It's fear. It's irrational fear. And the enemy is the expert at stirring up fear, anxiety, worry, and all sorts of various forms of fear in our lives. Verse 24, this is the third symptom of demonic activity. I believe help my unbelief. Unbelief is a symptom of demonic activity in your life. Now, I'm not talking about honest skepticism. Like, I'm, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I, 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 I want to believe, but I'm not sure if I believe. But man, I'm open, and I'm doing the research. I'm talking about that. That's, that's encouraged. That's a good thing. I'm talking about a father who says, I believe, and yet there's this sort of inner conflict going on of unbelief. It's that subtle but definite thought that niggles in the back of your mind that when you come into a place like this, you begin to just like, you don't know why, nothing changed from like last Sunday to this Sunday, but now it's like these thoughts, these feelings, these subtle niggles of unbelief begin to set in. I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't go so far as to say it's always demonic. Every time you ever question or have like some sort of doubtful thought, like that's the devil. God only knows. But certainly in this case, I would say this is very much a part of what's going on in this, this moment. 
this poor father. He's brought his son to Jesus, couldn't find Jesus, found the disciples. He believed, but there was this, this conflict, this inner struggle, this, the enemy at work, unbelief. Number four, symptoms of demonic activity. Verse 29, this isn't so much a symptom, it's just a point. Degrees of power, Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Does that bother anyone in here? This kind, what is that supposed to mean, this kind? So there's like, there's like these kinds, which maybe don't require prayer, maybe just a little willpower, maybe just like, hey, like, go away. But then there's these kinds. That's like, man, even the disciples who had cast out demons, many demons were told, they couldn't do it. So Jesus himself personally addressing the situation and commanding it to believe, to leave. And the disciples were like, what in the world? And he said, this kind, this kind. What this tells me is that depending upon uh, the situation, the circumstances, perhaps what you're getting up to, I'll put it like this. When Shirley and I and the kids decided uh, to respond to God's call to move about halfway across the world and plant a church in Portland, it was like there were devils, special devils, a different kind of devil waiting for us here in this, to this lovely town that I, I genuinely, sincerely um, love. When we took that step forward, that step of obedience to trust Jesus, there was a different kind of, call it resistance, a demonic activity, but there was something else. There was another kind of fight. And I think that when we make decisions to obey Jesus and to trust him in ways that, that mean taking steps forward, the fight intensifies. The, the fight intensifies. And there are different kinds of demons waiting for the son or daughter of God, the child of God that is interested in taking God seriously, who's willing to take a step of obedience and do things that perhaps the devil wouldn't really care about otherwise. You know what I'm saying? If you're not interested in actually uh, rocking the boat, you know, if you're just content to sit in a chair and, you know, get a, get a bit of religion every few weeks or so, cool, no big deal. Have fun, be bored. Um, love you guys. But, but, if you say, no, 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 I want to follow Jesus for real. I want to take a step of obedience. I want to trust him. I want to begin to bring the little ones to the king and say, won't you help us? If you can do anything, won't you have compassion on this little one? Oh my goodness. Sometimes I pray hard for our kid city leaders. So downstairs, we've got a bunch of little kids and we've got some amazing volunteers who are teaching them about Jesus. Guys, you want in on the action? Go downstairs. I'm being dead serious. You want in on the action? You want to really make an impact? Go downstairs. 
a volunteer sign up, start teaching these little kids, just being with them, being present with them, they have the most profound questions. It will challenge your theology to the core. Sometimes look like, looks like demonic activity, that's true. Sometimes. You're not supposed to say that, we just wanna get them downstairs. Just volunteer, it'll be wonderful. It's so much fun, it's easy. Yeah. Let me, I wanna throw out, there's a few more. I, I was just thinking about this and I think there's a few more symptoms, quote unquote symptoms that I wanna highlight that aren't necessarily in this particular passage, um, but they're important. Apathy, accusation, and hopelessness. We could probably add a few more to the list, but apathy, accusation, and hopelessness. Apathy is from the pit of hell. It's, it's, it's a demonic, it's a symptom of demonic activity. When you just like, you maybe used to care, but then you wake up one morning, you're like, I just honestly, I just can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered. It, I feel, it's like this, uh, it's hard to articulate. I can't really figure out where it's coming from, but I just, I just don't care. I kind of want to care, but I don't care enough to care, to want to care to care. It's apathy. And I don't need, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. We all feel it. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an epidemic in our world. Apathy. Accusation. Uh, these sort of things that the enemy wants to, again, this is sort of like a, another version of the, the discord, the arguing, the, the God's people, God's children fighting amongst themselves. Usually, one of the, oftentimes, one of the way it works is you'll be, be sitting, maybe you'll be in a conversation, maybe in a setting like this, and the enemy will begin to whisper probably the best way I can describe it. These sort of like thoughts that you very, very easily just write off as your own. And maybe they are, but then the enemy tries to exploit them and he leverages these like thoughts of like, oh, you know what? He's, he doesn't, you start to think these accusatory thoughts about me, about each other, about other churches in Portland, and we begin to sort of like think and then eventually speak accusation against each other. It will get you to like leave your church family. It will get you to like uh, break relationship with brothers and sisters because of these like accusatory thoughts that we simply write off as our own or we justify for a million and one different reasons, but they're demonic in origin. And then the hopelessness. I think this is probably a good example of where the, the lines are, are, are blurred. Because um, in a lot of cases, you know, if you struggle with chronic anxiety, depression, and you know for sure you've been diagnosed with like chemical uh, imbalances, um, okay, that's real, and you need professional uh, care. Possibly even medication could help you. Um, and prayer. And I think that the enemy will, will want to take advantage of, of that situation, whether it's a chemical imbalance, whether it's past trauma that you're working through. The devil will latch onto those things, leverage those things, and create overwhelming emotions 
of hopelessness. Jesus came to give us hope. Anyone else want to add to that list? Am I I missing anything just like obvious? Lust? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Anything else? Yeah, deception. Yes, excellent. Oh my goodness. Self-righteousness. Pride. Yeah. I think that's a great example of, again, do I struggle with pride? Yeah, definitely. My pride usually manifests as insecurity. It's kind of this weird like twist on pride. Um, pride is simply like a self-absorption. It's all about me. I am the center. And that can manifest as like gross arrogance or self-righteousness. Conversely, it can manifest as insecurity. You're just thinking about yourself way too much. Jealousy and selfish, selfish (laughs) ambition. Yeah, that's good. So what's the solution? What does Jesus say to do? Pray. It's, It's wonderfully, stupidly simple. Pray. This is the only thing that the disciples ever explicitly asked Jesus to teach them how to do. You ever notice that in the Gospels? If I would have been there, I would have been like, Jesus, first teach me how to preach, because you're preaching some banging sermons. <laughs> teach me how to maybe fundraise. Because you know, this whole ministry gig, it's kind of, it's, you know, I gotta, 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 the bill's paid. Teach me how to. Teach me how to raise the dead, for sure. What's te- that's like the, the whooshy finger hold right there. Like, <laughs> teach me how to raise the dead. Or just like an occasional miracle would be, would be cool. Teach me how to, uh, I don't know, lead a small group. That's kind of hard. Teach me, teach me a million different things. But the only thing the disciples ever explicitly asked Jesus to teach them how to do was pray. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. That says something about the importance of prayer. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he does. He, he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it already exists in heaven. Give us today our daily bread Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. You guys know the next part? Lead me away from temptation and deliver me from evil. Or some translations say the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. That's that's what we should pray. Jesus says, I will teach you. He says, say this, pray this. Could you imagine if every Christian on planet Earth prayed that prayer from the heart 
every day. I, I struggle to pray. I really do. Out of all of the, the quote-unquote spiritual disciplines that I'm, I'm working to sort of incorporate into my life, praying, it seems like it's just, it's the hardest habit to develop. Makes me wonder what sort of demonic resistance is at work in that case. Pray, how? A couple points on this one. Pray humbly and honestly. Why were the disciples unable to cast out the demon? It says in Mark chapter six, verse 13, Jesus gave them authority and they cast out many demons. Just a few chapters ago, they were sent out on a little short-term mission trip, having been given authority, delegated authority by King Jesus to cast out demons. And they did, a lot. But then in chapter nine, which is where we're at now, if we read a few verses on, we begin to see that something, something's beginning to go sideways for the disciples. Jesus at this point is now making his way to Jerusalem. He's been wandering around Galilee for most of Mark. And now he's starting his journey, his descension. He's moving southward to Jerusalem where he is to be crucified. In a few verses for the second time, Jesus is going to talk to his disciples explicitly about his, his betrayal, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And it says, and his disciples didn't understand. They couldn't get it. In chapter 9, verses 33 to 34, it says, they came to Capernaum, and when they were in the house, Jesus asked them this question about a discussion that the disciples had on the road. He says, what were you discussing on the way? And they said, but they kept silent. They wouldn't answer him. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're walking along. Jesus is like, hey, what were, what were you guys talking about on the way? Hmm, I don't, I don't recall. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we were debating about who was the best disciple. Kind of embarrassing, really. In chapter 9, verse 38, this is the last time we encounter a, a situation with a demon. The disciples, uh, it was actually John came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, we noticed a guy, he's not with our little group, he's not one of the 12, casting out demons in your name. You want us to sort them out? What, what do you, you know, like, that's not cool, right? And Jesus says, no, leave him be. He's not against us, he's for us. The disciples were like getting tribal. Talk about insecure, talk about pride. They were threatened by this other guy who's beginning to like, he was a Jesus follower and he was beginning to confront the demonic in Jesus' name. The disciples were getting insecure, prideful, arguing about who was the greatest, threatened by this guy who wasn't in their group. Why couldn't they cast out the demon? Pride. Taylor, you nailed it. It was pride. They were making 
They were associating with Jesus. They were still walking with Jesus, but they were increasingly making the whole journey about themselves. This whole Jesus thing was becoming about me. He was not the mightier than I. He was becoming the guy that I use to perhaps accomplish my agenda, do my stuff. There's a wonderful example of this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19, it says, some itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, the apostle Paul. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And it says they overpowered these exorcists, beat them, stripped them, and sent them running out of the house naked. What's the point? In the name of Jesus, come out. What Jesus are you talking about, really? Who are you? So you think you can just like evoke the magical word Jesus? You think that somehow like your, your prayers have mystical power if you say the words right? Then you, that, that's magic. That's, what it, that's, that's magic. It's pride. It's pride. In fact, the scriptures say that witchcraft and pride are essentially the same spirit. The disciples couldn't cast this demon out because they weren't actually looking to Jesus. In contrast, the young boy's father prayed. There's a prayer in this passage that we just read. He talks to Jesus, we call that prayer. He says, if you can do anything for us, have compassion on my son and I. And he says, if I can do anything, Anyone, you can do anything if you believe in me. And he says, help. I believe, help my unbelief. Lord Jesus, help. Arguably the most powerful prayer you could ever pray. Lord Jesus, help. My eloquence my theological knowledge, my title, add nothing to the effectiveness of my prayers because the greatest defense we can have against the devil is to maintain an honest heart before God. The devil's not impressed by how many Bible verses I can ramble off. The enemy is not threatened by the inflection of my authoritative prayer voice. In the kingdom of God, power is always found or applied in conjunction with proximity to the greater one. It's always a relational thing. If you want to overcome demonic things, manifestations in your life, get close to the greater one and start praying, help. Get close to Jesus and pray. And the enemy has 
to flee. The devil has to run when the son or daughter of Jesus puts his big elephant paw out. Brought it back around. (laughs) Pray confidently and relentlessly. We'll end here. All things are possible for the one who believes. Circumstances may or may not change. Get that. You may think my life is falling apart. The devil is just winning. You pray. Nothing happens. You pray. It gets worse. You pray. Still, nothing. Circumstances may remain the same. What's happening? Don't make the mistake of assuming that your adverse circumstances are necessarily demonic in nature because it's entirely possible that your circumstances are your undoing. It could be that you just made a couple of really dumb decisions. It could be that there's nothing demonic about your circumstances at all. You just... You were just a bit of an idiot, and that's welcome to the club. <laughs> the enemy will exploit the situation. The enemy will leverage your emotions and begin to rob you of hope, begin to get you accusing people around you, begin to get you fighting with your brothers and sisters in Christ versus actually praying, resisting. I love this quote by Francis Frankie Payne. He writes an excellent book on this stuff called The Three Battlegrounds. The enemy typically looks for circumstances to exploit, but Satan will not continue to assault you if the circumstances he designed to destroy you are now working to perfect you. The very schemes of the enemy that were meant to actually drag you down, that were meant to destroy you and your family and generations to come are now the very circumstances that King Jesus is using, utilizing to actually sanctify you, teach you patience, teach you compassion, teach you to look to him and trust him, to know who you are despite circumstances, that you are an elephant the size of this room And that you have been entrusted with an authority designed to push back darkness. Designed to set little ones free. Designed to actually change people's lives beginning with your own heart and mind. This, this is why we say our father in heaven is the master of redemption. He takes what the enemy intended for evil and uses it for good. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway? What's the so what? Pray. Pray. Can we stand together, please? You're now listening to Grace City Portland.